Should I ever need reminding of how I've been set free? There's a cross that bears the burden where another died for me. And should I ever need reminding of what power set me free? There's a grave that holds no body. And now that power lives in me. I love those words from the song, Another in the Fire. That reminder of the power of an empty cross in an empty tomb. Because the hope we have is not a faux hope. The hope we have is not built on a guess. The hope we have is in Jesus Christ. And we have proof. We have evidence living and past. And because of that hope, we have been set free. If you have your Bibles or your Bible on your devices, I invite you to turn with me. The New Testament in Matthew chapter 1 and in Luke chapter 1. We're beginning series entitled A Christmas Revolution. Now Jody said to me this week, said you may need to change that title. Said there's just so much going on and so many areas of our country and around the world where the word revolution is being thrown out there and it's not necessarily a positive thing. But you see, a Christmas revolution is positive. A revolution always starts with hope. Think about that. A military revolution starts with hope. A political revolution starts with some kind of hope. And a world changed by the birth of Christ is a revolution that was born out of hope. What's well, the right word? We just need to change its meaning. It's the right word. We just need to make sure we're living it out. So this morning, I'm hoping to start a revolution. A Christmas revolution. And I invite you along on the journey with me. Joanne already read from Isaiah chapter 9, but let me read two of those verses again. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, part of the prophecy of the hope of Christmas says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establishment, to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And then Luke chapter 1. This beginning of the Christmas story. Luke chapter 1 beginning at verse 26 says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. 
The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. An angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. This is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And then Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins, and all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. For nothing will be impossible with God. A revolution where nothing is impossible. A revolution based on the hope that is found in the truth of Christmas. That is the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because a revolution always begins with hope. Now, the prophecy and the promise of the coming Messiah, the prophecy and the promise of Jesus coming and this hope that we have in that was given a long time before it was fulfilled. We were fortunate enough for a few days this week to have six of our grandkids with us. We noticed that yesterday when the vehicles left, the house got really quiet. In fact, I thought too quiet, but Jody didn't appreciate me yelling and running around the house. As if I could run. 
But you know, there was such hope when we looked at them. They don't have the concerns that we have. And we can dismiss that sometimes and say it's because they don't understand. And I actually this week started to realize, no, we've forgotten. They've got it right. Are they unaware of all the stuff in the world? Some of it. But you see, they've been taught who Jesus is. They know what the hope really is. And as a result of that, they've determined that it's more important to live now than to worry about all these might-be's. In fact, I thought, okay, Lord, let me return to that. Oh, maybe don't squeal quite so much. But to return to that joy of living out the hope we have. A true revolution of Christmas that promise was from a long time ago. And you see with my grandkids, especially those young ones, talking about Christmas is a long way away. The promise of Christmas that was originally given didn't happen for a long time. Some of you are struggling with hope this morning because the promises you've been holding on to haven't happened yet. And Satan has begun to whisper those beautiful little lies. They sound beautiful, but they're all lies. Those lies that say, if it hasn't happened by now, it's not going to happen. You see, that's what some begin to think about the promise of the coming Messiah, and yet it came. God's promises are always true, and they're always on time according to God's time. I get it. I don't always agree with God's time. <laughs> but he doesn't need to agree with me. I need to follow him. You see, a prophecy or a promise only produces hope when you have faith in the one who gave it. A prophecy, a promise, only produces hope when you believe and have faith in the one who gave the promise. So maybe we need to start with, do you believe in the one who's given you the promise of life in Christ? The one who's given you the promise of forgiveness. The one who's given you a promise of a new life. The one who's given you a promise of eternity together with him. We have to start there. That's where we have to direct our world is to that fact of the promise that came through Christ. Now, when that promise came, we read out of Isaiah chapter 9, the promise said, he shall be. We also add that he shall be called. These will be some of the names that he'll be known by, but not just the names he'll be known by. This is who he will be. And it starts with wonderful counselor. Some translations have it as two words, wonderful counselor. Some of them have it as one meaning with those two words of a wonderful counselor. No matter which way you take that, that's a pretty good name. That's a pretty good promise to have somebody who's wonderful and also can give you counsel. Not a 
Hollywood Mr. Wonderful, but a true wonderful counselor. Just think what that means for a moment. Something that's wonderful. That causes us to be full of wonderful. To be full of wonder. But also a counselor. One who cares. One who listens. And one who guides. That promise of a wonderful counselor. But it continued and said he will also be a mighty God. Not just God, but a mighty God. That word that is used there for mighty is an overwhelming show of strength. A mighty God. Now, most of us don't think of somebody who's wonderful as being mighty. And we rarely think of a counselor as being mighty. But what a great picture of a wonderful counselor who's also a mighty God. But it didn't stop there because it said he'll be the everlasting father. The true father. Abba father. That in our language we would translate it to mean daddy. That intimate term. Not father in the formal sense, but dad. The one we know, the one whose lap we can climb up on, the one who hugs us, the one who protects us, the one who reaches out for us, the one we know cares for us. And everlasting. We've been reminded too much recently that nothing here is everlasting. But Christ is. And he's that everlasting father. And then it said. He's the prince of peace. The prince of peace. If you're going to be the prince of something. That's a pretty good thing to be the prince of. A prince of peace. Not just the absence of bullets flying but of true peace. I'm not sure that we strive for peace enough. That peace where we can have confidence no matter what's happening. That peace where we can trust no matter what's happening. That's one of the reasons I love that song and I've read words to you now Two different times recently that I read this morning, another in the fire. Talking about the fact that when we face difficult things, when a battle comes our way, we are not alone. He's with us. And he hasn't lost a battle yet. Which should give us confidence, which should then give us peace. Oh, it doesn't mean we ever want to be in the battle, but it means that if I'm in the battle and he is with me, then I can have peace because I know what's on the other side. Whether it's a minor thing to the world or whether it's a major thing, whatever you may be facing to remember that he is the prince of peace. I'm convinced <laughs> the more I prayed and prepared this week, 
that those words and those names are what some of you need to hold on to if you don't hear anything else. You need to begin to embrace that he's a wonderful counselor. That he's a mighty God. That he's your dad and he's everlasting. No matter what your earthly dad is or was like, this is a mighty God, an everlasting father who is the prince of peace no matter what you're facing. Imagine if we could get that truth to those you're going to run into this week. Imagine if we could get that truth to everybody who lives at your address. Imagine if we could get that truth to everybody in the Sterling Rock Falls, Dixon, Morrison, and beyond. That would be a revolution. If they could hear those words from somebody who says, I believe it. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and the prince of peace. A revolution is what we're seeking. The revolution begins when you embrace it and allow yourself to be embraced by the hope of Christmas. The revolution can't begin until you embrace the hope of Christmas and until you allow yourself to be embraced by that same hope. Joseph was going to break up with Mary. Matthew 1 and in Luke 1, when it describes Mary as being betrothed or engaged to Joseph, and in Matthew chapter 1, it says that, that uh, Joseph was engaged or betrothed to Mary. We don't understand that word in our culture. This was a legal arrangement. Not an engagement that could be broken over a text. Shame on anybody that would ever do that. You had to divorce to break this engagement. It was already binding. Imagine hearing the news that Joseph heard. But he was righteous and at minimum he didn't want her to suffer shame in the community which surely would have come. But you see, when he heard the truth that a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace was coming. In fact, that he was going to help raise him. Everything changed. Imagine the revolution that was started when Joseph, against advice from everyone else, took Mary as his wife. Imagine the revolution that started with Mary when she said, no, we haven't been together. This is from God. And then they raised the Messiah because they embraced the hope 
of the promise of who Jesus was, and we now know who he is. But I want you to get this picture. For Joseph and Mary, it was a personal promise, and it still is today. The promise of Christmas, the promise of Christ is a personal promise for the individual. It's a personal promise that has your name on it. For God so loved the world, for God so loved, you can insert your name. Because that word world means everyone, no matter how you translate it, no matter how you dissect that word that we translate world in John 3.16, it means every single person which means you, with no exceptions. That's the promise of Christmas. It is a personal promise. And it's time some of you embrace that promise for yourself. My prayer for my kids growing up was that they would embrace this. And I rejoice that they did. My prayer for my grandkids is that they would embrace it personally. And I can praise the Lord that nearly all of them already have. But you see, they had to do it. I couldn't depend on my parents' faith. My kids couldn't depend on mine. And my grandkids can't depend on mine either. It's a personal promise that has to be personally embraced but it is also a public promise that is for everyone. Not many things work that way in our world. Something that is personal that it's also public and has the same strength to it. See, that's why we can and should let everybody know this is for you. But you have to believe it first. See, if you don't believe it's for you, it's gonna, you're going to have trouble telling somebody it's for them. Do you believe it's for you? It was a revolution in my heart when I finally embraced it. Oh, I knew it intellectually. I grew up in it. My dad was a pastor. I knew every phrase there was. I was great at Sunday school trivia. I won every time. But until I knelt and said yes to Jesus, it meant nothing. You have to embrace this for yourself. And the revolution grows when you live in this hope. And when you share it, you have to live in it, not just believe it, not just claim to embrace it, not just sign on the dotted line, but actually live it out. The old timers used to say when we all had tie shoes <laughs> before sandals, well, that's not true. Jesus wore sandals. Anyway, they used to say that you need to live so that the tongue in your shoes matches the tongue in your mouth. That you're both going the same direction. That you walk what you talk. 
I think they had something with that phrase. That we need to embrace this for ourselves, and then we need to live in it with each step we take. Not just when we show up here, but when we go out there. Nobody's impressed if we live it in here. That's to be expected. When they're impressed is when we live it out there. When things don't go well. When things don't go as expected or hoped. To live it out. And you see, this involves your daily living, no matter how routine. We have a tendency to try to rally spiritually for the biggies. But people are more impressed when you live it daily. I mean, just showing up. When you live it out at home on a Wednesday. When you live it out at work on a Monday. When you live it out when someone treats you poorly. Or when the news from the doctor is not what you hoped. That's when the revolution starts. When they see you living it out in the daily things. The biggies and the little Somebody cutting you off in the parking lot at Walmart. <laughs> or somebody jumping you in the line to check out. Or the biggie. Somebody going through the 12 or less items with 13 items. It's living it out in the daily stuff. The routine. You see, if we have this hope and we live in this hope, it absolutely must be evident to others. We shouldn't have to tell them there's something different. They should see it. They may not know what it is. They may ask and say, what is going on with you? But they better see a difference. Or we're not living it out. We have never lived in a time in history, according to me, where it is easier to stand out as a follower of Christ. Because there is so much against it. Live it out. And every year I try to remind you. The Christmas season is the perfect time. Because a lot of people lose their mind. At this time of year. They lose all civility. Kindness, etc. All you got to do is be decent to be noticed now. But we ought to be far beyond that. There ought to be a reason for the clerk to go, what's with you? I don't mean because you've been bad. I mean because they're going, you're not all shook up about all this stuff. And your coworker who goes, what's with you? And your classmates and your neighbors and even your family who goes, how come? 
And we can point them to the hope we have in Christ. That's when a revolution can happen. And if my faith is not evident to those I encounter, I need to do a checkup. But if we want the revolution to really change our world, and it can. If it's going to change our world, here's four things we must do. And by we, I mean you. And by we, I mean me. But don't think of it as the collective we. Think of it as you. Here's what you must do. Number one, you must live hopeful every day. Live in hope, showing hope, being hopeful. Not Pollyanna, pie-in-the-sky stuff. I don't mean ignoring difficult things. I mean living hopeful in spite of. Living hopeful when stuff is just stuff. Living hopeful on Monday as well as Sunday. On Wednesday as well as Sunday. To live hopeful each day. The scripture we read in both Matthew 1 and Luke 1. It said that Joseph and Mary came together in that hope. And they then lived in it in spite of what everyone else was doing and saying. We need to live hopeful every day. As my friend Jeff Stark said, we need to be optimists, not optimists. We need to live in the hope that is in Christ. Number two, as you do that, you need to point people to Jesus as the reason for the hope. Why are you so hopeful? Oh, one word, Jesus. It's not really complicated, but it is powerful because it can start a revolution. Imagine this week, you living hopeful each day at home, at work, at school, at the store, online, on your social media posts. Oh, I want to say so much more there. Number three, the revolution can change our world if you go out of your way to share it. I know I said live it in the daily, that's true. But what if we also went out of our way to share the hope? I mean, looked for people who need some hope. You don't have to look that hard. Just smile at some people. At minimum, they're going to look at you suspicious and wonder why you're smiling. a revolution going out of our way to show this hope to live in this hope and to give people the reason for it and number four this revolution can change our world if you seek to make a difference where you are oh all of this is seeking to make a difference but what I'm saying is seek to make a difference where you are too often we seek to make a difference Sometime, when 
and you fill in the blank. When this happens, I will. How about just do it now? Right where you are. When Jesus gave the great commission to the disciples, when he explained it a little more, we have it recorded in Acts chapter 1. He said, here's where you start. In Jerusalem, which is where they happen to be. For those of us who want to change the world, start where we are in the world. Then let's move out from there. But if we don't do it where we are, we won't do it where we're going. Be the reason that others see the hope. Seek to make a difference where you are. And then Jesus will get you where you need to be. A Christmas revolution always begins with hope. Do you have hope today? Father, thank you for speaking to me this week. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit has spoken to others. Lord, fill in where my words failed. May your words dominate what's remembered today. Lord, help us to not just encourage one another in here and, oh, we need to do that, but help us to seek to show this hope to those we encounter as we leave here, those we encounter in our homes, in our neighborhood, at work and at the store, in traffic, and even online. Lord, may we create and begin a revolution, a revolution of the hope that we have in you. In Jesus' name, I pray for these things. Amen.